Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined in the studio today by Pastor John Bellis, Pastor Mike London. Guys, thanks for joining us for this final installment of the Jesus Way series. We're on week number six. Today, we're going to talk about loving your enemies. So anyone who's out there listening to this, if you have an enemy, this message is for you because it seems natural to hate our enemies. But it turns out, this is what we're going to learn today, guys. Mike, I can't wait to hear your story. Uh, It turns out that hating your enemy only results in a prison of your own making. The Jesus way calls us to something better, and that's what we're going to look at. But before we jump into all of this and talk about imprisonment, which, Mike, I I can't imagine being your enemy, because you're about twice my size. (laughs) And, And so... I, I really want to hear your story about this and also about imprison, being imprisoned because you're an expert, right, because of your law enforcement career. Yeah, for sure. But but before we get into all that, that's just a little teaser. John, why don't we start by just giving one final reminder of, of where we are in Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the last of the six antitheses of Jesus. What are those? Yeah, so this is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus makes these statements— that says, you have heard it said, but I say. And so I love that Jesus is appealing to his authority here. We see often in Scripture how the Bible says that the people were amazed at how he taught with authority. This is just a clear example of that to me. So he says, you know, the law says don't murder, but I say be reconciled. You've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I say be radically pure. The law says a man can divorce, but I say be selfless in marriage. The law says don't break vows, but I say be a truth teller. Last week we looked at the law says an eye for an eye, but I say be a blessing. And then today, as you said, Pastor Brian, we're looking at the law says hate your enemies, but Jesus says no, be like me, be a blessing to your enemies. Mm-hmm. So Jesus wasn't, I want to make sure everybody understands, Jesus wasn't saying that there was something with the law, because he doesn't, he doesn't start these antitheses out with it is written. He says, no, you've heard that it was said. So he's really calling into question the interpretation of the law that the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, or really even just the people have, because it's it's not all just on our leaders. Sometimes we want to hear what we want to hear. We read scripture and we want to hear what we want. And so we can misinterpret it. We can twist it a little bit to fit our needs or to justify our sin. And we're going to see a little bit of that today. So it's there's nothing wrong with what the Old Testament says. What's wrong with it is sometimes how we interpret it. Yeah, and what's amazing for us today as followers of Christ is we have ready access to the written Word of God. Mm-hmm. Jesus' original audience, the Sermon on the Mount, most of them were common people. They didn't have the written Word in their homes, right? They had to go to the synagogue. It was from their rabbi. And so you and I can test everything we hear. Even mm-hmm. on this podcast, if you're listening today, right. don't just take our word for it. Go to the written word of God, because we're going to see that that the Old Testament law didn't really say at all what the religious leaders of the day were telling the people that it said in this particular case. Yeah, so let's jump into it. We ready for it? Yeah. All right. Mike, I can't wait to hear your story. <laughs> this is going to be great. All right. Matthew 5, starting in verses 43 and 44, Jesus says this, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now we need to start with this, okay? Because I think people might start scroll, you know, scrolling through their Bible app or flipping through the pages in the Old Testament looking for where 
it says this. Jesus says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But here's the, here's the first little nugget for everybody listening today. God never actually said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You're, you're never going to find it anywhere in the, in the Old Testament. <laughs> so obviously, apparently, this hate your enemy part was added later by people who were missing the whole point or the, even really the whole heart of God. Okay, so here's what it says in Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I think, you know, the natural tendency here probably, it seems, is that they saw that it says, don't seek revenge or bear a a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. And so they must have assumed that the flip side of that coin was then that you're okay to hate your enemy. Mm -hmm. It seems like the obvious, just from our own perspectives, it seems like the obvious um, other side of the coin is, yeah, hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, therefore hate your enemy. I'm going to fill in the blanks. Yeah, and fast forward that to when Jesus is is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and who was the enemy to an Israelite, to a Jewish person at that time? Everybody was, unless mm-hmm. you were a Jew, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't just the Romans, it was anyone who was uncircumcised. So they kind of carried around this, almost like a badge of honor, that they could hate all of these pagan people around them, even though that's not what the Word said. Yeah, and it seems like a timely message for America today, because this is kind of what we've been, I feel like we've been baited into it's not enough to have a difference of opinion with somebody across the aisle, politically or whatever else. We we actually end up hating them. We end up speaking out, being just so... Uh, I mean, is it just me, or is, has life changed in the last even 10, 15 years? It's, there's so much polarization. There's so much hatred out there on both sides of the aisle. We are certainly given an opportunity to demonstrate that through our social media. Yeah. It's so easy yeah. to get on take a couple of seconds to type something out, share it with the world, and just maybe share those emotions that at a different time in, in world history, maybe we wouldn't have had that opportunity, mm-hmm. and we'd have you know, calmed ourselves down before we shared it. But now it's just so easy to do, too. Mm-hmm. All right, so, but it's not just that, Mike. I, we, we've, I've been waiting for this. You, you know, for this, pa- this passage really jumps out at you. You've really kind of helped prep this podcast yeah. and this whole sermon. Tell us how this lands for you, because I know you have a story, and I'm, I'm sure other people have stories of of their enemies and their feelings toward their enemies. So tell us your story. Well, and it, let me just kind of preface this just a, a bit. Right before that verse that I read in, in Leviticus 19.18, the, the verse immediately before that, um, in talking about having problems with other people, says to confront them directly, mm. otherwise you, be, you can be held guilty for their sin, mm. right? For their sin. And this is kind of a, a that suggests that we're also being protected here. God wants us to be protected from sort of the fallout of, of hating our enemies. You know, in, in my situation, so I was, as you alluded to earlier, I was a police officer at an earlier time in my life. And so about, I don't know, 13 or 14 years ago, I was involved in a gunfight. And um, after the gunfight, the suspect went to the hospital for some time and then eventually to prison for the better part of a decade. And you know, I went home physically unscathed, um, but over the next several years, I, I I started off with this justifiable anger, right? I was really mad. This this guy tried to kill me and, and some, you know, other police officers, and uh, 
Um, it was already a wanted person for violence and kidnapping and things like that. And so I, I started off being justified in my anger, I thought, because it was righteous. Mm. But then what I found was that I couldn't escape it. You know, it became my identity. I was, I was an angry, cynical person. And it wasn't just how I reacted to things. It was really just who I felt like I was in my heart. And I didn't realize how much of a grasp it had on me. And I, I had this hate in my heart that, um, you know, I was, I was going to have to one day answer for, right? Because I was sinning because my heart was so full of, of anger and hatred. And it had gone so much farther past righteous anger to, to something where I just loathed this other human being. Well, and this is really what Jesus is getting at. You know, some people listening right now might think that we're, we're saying this for your enemy's sake. And certainly your enemy is going to benefit from you not hating them. But actually Jesus, everything that Jesus says isn't just for the other person, it's for you too. It turns out that the world's way of hating your enemy imprisons us. But the Jesus way, what we're studying today, is actually the thing that sets us free. We're, we're blessed to be set apart from the world. God is glorified when we do things his way. So let's build a couple of lists here. And again, I encourage listeners to think about your own situation. Maybe Mike, Mike, when you shared your story, maybe some people are listening, you know, they're driving to work right now and they're, they're thinking about someone that they're still bitter toward. They're thinking about someone that they would consider their enemy, someone that they, in their heart, they have struggled with because they hate them. And there are three things that happen at least when you hate your enemy. Number one, and Mike, you alluded to this, you camouflage your sin. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you, you begin to justify it. And, you know, if we're talking about our enemy, there's, they're probably our enemy because they have done something that we've perceived as wrong. And so we justify that originally, right? And, and then oftentimes maybe they legitimately wronged us, and uh, we might have anger for a reason there. But we can uh, begin to camouflage that and and identify that sin as something righteous when in reality it comes from a, a darker place in our heart. Yeah, so they're certainly they're sinning. I'm sure what they did was sinful. That's why they're, I'm guessing, that's why you're having a hard time and you want to hate them is because what they did, certainly your story, Mike, was terrible. He's, he's taking shot, literally trying to kill you. Right. But, but what, what we end up doing then is being so focused on what they did wrong that we can't realize the sin that's starting to grip our own hearts. Number two, as a result then, Mike, you say that you get stuck in bitterness. How long were you stuck in that story? Well, it took, from the, from the time that it happened, it took about nine years before I got to the point where um, I could let go of that. And honestly, it was, it was totally a God thing that I was able to let go um, because I got to a place where I was really hurting, and you wouldn't necessarily have known it because it was it was all internalized. But I was I was so bitter, and I felt as though I had been wronged, and and even other people had been wronged so badly um, that I just felt like I couldn't get out of it until I had to literally just lay it at, at God's feet. I knew that all my life He had said that He would He would take those burdens from me, mm. and I finally just gave it to Him. And he took them. And then number three, and this is this is the great irony, and I really want people to hear this. When you hate your enemy, you actually chain yourself 
to your enemy? How? How so? Well, again, for my my personal situation, uh, the suspect in this case, you know, um, he he was in federal prison, but he was kind of you know uh, just sitting there watching TV all day, probably putting on some weight, that kind of thing. That's the way I <laughs> I viewed it. And meanwhile, I was really struggling emotionally and and even mentally because um, of the the stress that I had all the time, uh, reliving that situation and you know, think about how it was going to affect me in the future. And what I realized was that although I had, you know, won the physical fight that night, I was losing because I was still thinking about it every, every day and struggling with it every day. And I thought this guy probably doesn't really think about it all that much at all. Mm-hmm. And here I am being, con- my emotions being controlled by him thousands of miles away mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. Right. And I felt like my emotions were being um, still controlled by him. John, do you think in your years of ministry as a pastor, do you think that that is only true for Mike's story when someone's literally shooting a gun at you? Or do you, have you noticed that sometimes bitterness can creep into our heart for maybe lesser offenses? All, all the time. I think of that saying, right, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm. You know, you're, you're doing all the harm to you, the harm's internal. They probably don't even remember what's going on. I, mm. I think even in in broken marriages where people just can't forgive yeah. a spouse who's maybe been unfaithful and has, has moved on and they just wrestle with it year after mm-hmm. year after year, and the other person probably has moved on, probably not even really thinking about it. Mm. So we definitely chain ourselves to the enemy. There's a, a saying I've heard a lot lately um, of living rent free in somebody else's mind, Ooh. right? It's that kind of a thing, right? Yeah. That, mm-hmm. And that was that was my situation. And like John says, that's something I think a lot of people deal with is is that the their their quote unquote enemy is living rent free in their mind because they're still hanging on to this so so much, and uh, and they're chained to uh, that person or to that uh, situation. Mm. All right, so. So when you hate your enemy, you camouflage your sin, you get stuck in bitterness, you chain yourself to the enemy. And then let's talk about the other side of the list. Then when you love your enemy, which is what Jesus, and by the way, isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't just say, be ambivalent, be ambivalent toward your enemy. He, he, he says the opposite of hating your enemy is loving your enemy. I want you to proactively love your enemy. So let's make sure to talk a little bit about that. But number one, when you love your enemy, you admit that you also sin right? That you have this ability to be a little more self-aware and recognize because you love your, because you love your enemy, they're not the enemy. They're not evil. That gives you the, the, I don't the space, I guess, the freedom to, to reflect on your own sin and, and where you might've gone wrong, even in that situation. And even if you didn't sin in that situation, it allows you to recognize you sin all the time. Yeah. So even in this p- particular conflict, maybe you really didn't do anything wrong, but you have to realize I've done wrong in a lot of other conflicts that were my fault. Yeah, and when you do that, then number two, th- you free yourself to forgive. Because anyone who feels like they're the victim, anyone who feels like they're innocent, they're righteous, they're not a sinner, those people never never can find the place to ask for forgiveness give or to forgive forgive the other person right if they don't feel like they ever have to ask for forgiveness then they have a hard time forgiving the other person because they have this bar in their head even though they haven't reached it they think they they fooled themselves into thinking they have and so you have 
those people, the self-righteous is, I guess, the word for this, the self-righteous people, never forgive. They can never forgive the other person. But when you can love your enemy, you actually have the ability to forgive them, right? And forgiveness, I, tra- my wife Tracy taught me this, forgiveness is giving a gift to somebody else, right? Forgiveness is a gift. That's a good way of, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I know that for myself, um, my wife thinks that uh, sometimes maybe I'm a little naive or a little quick to forgive um, mm. because I've I, I, I put that animosity and that cynicism away. You know, when I did it with this particular incident we've been talking about, mm. um, it, it it changed something in my heart, and and I don't want to go back to a place of of hanging on to that anymore. And and uh, it. I have been freed to be able to forgive other people. And, and I mean, and there's times I probably still hold a grudge more than my wife knows sometimes, right? <laughs> but I really uh, approach things so much differently these days. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then there's this third thing that happens when you love your enemy. Remember we said when you hate your enemy, what did you say? You, you let them live rent-free in your in head? In your mind, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so when you, and which means you're chaining yourself to them. Ironically, you're chaining yourself to them. Well, when you love your enemy, you're, chaining yourself to the yoke of Jesus. You're connecting yourself to Jesus, which is great because look at what Matthew 11 says, verse 29 and 30 says, Jesus is speaking here. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Again, it's just, it's a little, Jesus did this kind of stuff a lot where he would make a statement that caused people to think, say, wait a second, a yoke doesn't sound like something that's easy. A a burden sounds burdensome, but what he's saying is, no, the burden I give you is light. My yoke is easy. You know, when when in Jesus's day, when a farmer would connect two animals, two oxen with a yoke, what they would, my understanding is what they would do is they would take the stronger ox and they would team up a stronger ox with the weaker ox so that the stronger ox can carry the the burden for the weaker ox and get the work done. And this is, Jesus is obviously the stronger ox here. Jesus is saying, when you connect yourself to me, instead of connecting yourself to that person, that enemy, because you can't forgive them, when you connect yourself to me, it's easy. It's light. It's not burdensome. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. And he says in Matthew 5, back to verse 46 and 47, we haven't read this whole section yet. Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, what what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much, right? He says, loving your, loving your neighbor. Anyone can love your neighbor if you have a good neighbor, right? If He says, if you're kind only to your friends, how, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. So what Jesus is saying is, look, when you... When you are different from the, the, in the, just the natural instincts of the world, which is just to love the people that you love, or love the people that you like, I guess right. you could say, um, and hate the people that, that you don't like, he says, then you're no different from everybody else. You're no different from tax collectors. You're no different from pagans. And really, you end up being stuck in these cycles, right, that keep you in bondage, that, that really imprison you even though you might not even realize it till maybe for some people it's too late. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it says, how are you different from anyone else? 
the point is we are supposed to be different from other people, right? We're from, from the way the world is. We're supposed to be set apart and holy the way that, that Jesus was set apart. And so, so there are some examples here um, of, of you know, ways that we can love our enemies. Uh, the first one, um, going beyond hatred to blessing others spiritually, right? Uh, talking about praying for somebody that was your enemy. And that can be, that can be really tough. That's, mm-hmm. That can be a, kind of a, a thing for us to, we might have to learn to get over, um, but that's a big deal. If we can start praying to the God of the universe for this person that we otherwise would hate, that has a, a natural tendency to change our heart. It's hard to pray down blessing from God on somebody that I want to hate and continue to hate them. You know, I can hear some people saying, oh, I pray for my enemy every day. I pray God would take them out, right. you know, <laughs> take out the legs. No, but that's not what you're saying, right? You're saying, you're saying no, pray for a blessing on yes. them. God, I pray you would open their eyes. Like for the guy that's in prison, right? That you pray that God yeah. would that God would reveal himself yeah, to absolutely. this guy, right? And that I he have. would come to know Jesus. I, I've prayed for him for years, and mm-hmm. um, I actually... Uh, have have met him, you know, several times since then. Wow! Um, and every time that I do, I, I let him know that I'm praying for him, and and uh, we end the conversation with a hug. Wow, wow. So yeah, th- again, this is Jesus is saying, uh, how hard is that, Mike? Because Jesus is saying, I want you to proactively love. I don't want you to just okay, what find this neutral ground between hatred and love for your enemy. Just. Don't think about him anymore. Just get him out of your mind. Just you're done with him. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to proactively love them. It's hard to take that step, isn't it? It's really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it goes against, it went against my human nature to do that. Yeah. But, you know, for during that whole process for me, I did know what God told me to do. And there was just a point when I, you know, had to just trust him and, and sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, call him out on his goodness, right? And mm. say, you said that, that this is the way to go. So I'm going to, I'm going to try this mm. and see if it works. And it, and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're called to be different, but we're not called to just try harder to be different, right? We're different from the world because we have things that the world doesn't have. We have a, a new heart. God says we're a new creation. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit working within us and empowering us. We have God's word that gives us guidance. So he doesn't just send us out there and say, okay, now go be different, mm. right? There are, there are things that we have as believers that the world doesn't have. Mm. So it shouldn't be as hard to be different as I think sometimes we make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. But yet it's still, sometimes we need these reminders, right? Because our instinct is, everyone has to admit this, our instinct, we, there's something about something about hating your enemy that makes you feel a little bit better from a carnal point of view, from a worldly point of view. But but when we read stuff like this from from Matthew 5, it it's a reminder that Jesus, the Jesus way is a different way. And and you're right. Once we realize, okay, it's a different way. Okay, I gotta pray. I gotta pray for my enemies now. I gotta bless my pray blessings on my enemies. That, like you experienced, Mike, it turns out Jesus. You'll be maybe surprised to know Jesus was right. That it really is freeing to be able to do this, and and it 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 actually helps you, not just your enemy. Right. Absolutely. Now, one more thing before we sort of finish this topic and this whole series. 
because I'm just thinking about the person who has an enemy, maybe someone who's been in an abusive relationship, right? And Mike, you've done a lot of work with folks like this. Yeah. So does does for someone like that, are we saying that you need to love them and and be friends with them again or get back into that abusive relationship with them? Is that what are we what is Jesus what would Jesus, I guess, say to something like that? I, I think that um, there's there's no reason to think that we aren't gonna continue to have healthy boundaries, right? Right. Um, you you may need to have physical separation from from this person in your life or, you know, not maintain a relationship, but it's really a matter of sort of our heart's direction towards them, right? It's, it's the idea of, of, of praying to God on their behalf, right? We don't want this, if this person genuinely wronged us and sinned against us, we don't want that to continue to happen to other people or the rest of the world. We want this person to be changed for the world's benefit even, right? So, um, and for their benefit, but so no, the idea is that you can still have those healthy boundaries. It's simply a change of your heart where you view this person as, you know, one of God's children, mm. right? The way that He might look at them, um, and and again, at, you know, praying that that God would put people in their life that would help manifest change in that person's heart, mm. right? So so that that person can be a new creature as well. But it's pro- but it probably isn't going to be you. Probably if you, not. If they've right. if they've been abusive to you, I think people need to hear that. Is yeah. you don't God can God can bless them, but He's probably going to have to use someone else yeah. to bless them. There there needs to be a boundary for you, but in your own heart, you still don't have to be imprisoned. You don't have to be bitter toward that. You can release it, release it to God, and then you can begin to experience the freedom that Jesus is talking about here. For sure. All right. One more thing as we finish up. We want to make sure people understand this, that blessing our enemies is the ultimate expression of the Jesus way. You know, all throughout this series for the last six weeks, we've been talking about this radically new kingdom ethic, John, that you you opened up with explaining some of these things from Matthew 5, that Jesus is saying, this is the one thing you've heard, but I'm going to tell you, this is a, this is the way God wants you to live. And, and you've heard this, but God wants you to do this instead. And so... I feel like Jesus leaves us with this last example, loving your enemy, as sort of the culmination of the Jesus way. There's so many other things Jesus could have said, I think. He only gives us six antitheses. He could have given us ten times that many, I'm sure. But I think he ends with this one because I feel like this is the hardest thing, is to, again, not just to ignore our enemies, but to bless our enemies. That's the ultimate expression of the way God is toward us, of the way Jesus himself is toward us. I mean, look at what it says in verse 45 in Matthew 5. Jesus says, when you do this, when you bless your enemies, in that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And here's why. And then he gives this example. He says, because your Father in heaven gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is God blesses his enemies. God blesses people. He doesn't just bless the farmers who are godly. He blesses all the farmers, right? He gives rain to everybody. He gives sunshine to everybody, not just his favorite people. So this is the heart of God. This is the nature of God. And so God's calling us to reflect that to the world around us, to be sacrificial, to be generous with those who haven't deserved it, haven't earned it, 
with those who are against us. He's saying, look, if you if you want to do what Jesus did, if you want to do what God does, then then you're still going to bless them, even though they haven't earned it and they haven't deserved. It. I think it's worth, I think speaking to this once again. This right, John. This is the heart of the gospel. The gospel message is just this: is just Jesus blessing those who were his enemies. Yeah, Jesus before he got to his sixth antithesis, reminded everyone that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Mm. And this is the crescendo of Jesus fulfilling the law. Jesus modeled this. Jesus did this. Jesus blessed his enemies. Because the Bible says, because of our sin nature, every one of us is an enemy of God. We're children of wrath. It's not something we like to talk about a lot in general, but it's the truth. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus blessed us by coming and living the perfect life that we couldn't live and going to the cross for our sins. So uh, he fulfilled the law perfectly when he said, hey, bless your enemies. That's what he did for you and for me. And even then, in the last moments on the cross before he died, he prayed to the Father to forgive them for they they don't know what they're doing, right? That was still his Mm -hmm. heart was was to, to, to... bless the people who were putting him there. Yeah. Paul says it like this in Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. He says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us friends of God. So we've we've gone from enemies of God to friends of God because of the generous sacrificial gift of Jesus on the cross. And I love what it's what Paul says there's now we can rejoice in this that we're 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 going to be saved through the life of his son. And and Paul says this in so many of his writings in the New Testament. He he's talking about the fact that it should change the quality of our life, which is kind of what Jesus is getting at here, is the quality of your life should change. This shouldn't just be something in name only. Like we walk around saying we've been saved because of what Jesus did for us, but we live like everybody else. No, Jesus is calling us to this radically new ethic. It should actually change the quality of our lives and the way people experience relationship with Christians. But sadly, and for many people, it, it, it doesn't change it. Christians are as bitter as non-Christians. Christians can be as unforgiving, in some cases, more unforgiving than non-Christians, because a lot of times the secular world says, who am I to judge, right? Well, but Christians love to judge and, and to not forgive. And so that's why I'm sure it breaks the heart of, of God to see the state of so many of his so-called children, people who go to church, but don't at all reflect the heart of God toward people. So he finishes this whole section in Matthew chapter 5 with verse 48, and it says this, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the truth is we can't we can't be perfect, but he wants us to be. I think there's some debate in, in seminaries about these antitheses in this whole chapter, there's some debate. Is this is this saying, is is Jesus using all of this hyperbole that it seems to be a lot of hyperbole in the antitheses? Is he saying that just to get us to say, we can't do it, we're imperfect, we we can't do it, we need the grace of, of Jesus 
to be able to live these lives and then just continue to live imperfect lives? Or is, or do you think that Jesus actually had a vision in mind for his followers, that he actually wanted us to start living a different way? I guess maybe we'll finish this whole series with that question. What do you guys think? Do you think that Jesus expected us to try to live a different kind of life or not? I think it's both and. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think Jesus definitely wants us and expects us because he's he's equipped us to live a different kind of life. Mm-hmm. But he led off this section with, he says, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, mm-hmm. you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So think of what that would have sounded like to his original audience. Mm. To someone in the crowd sitting on the mountainside with him who looked up to the Pharisees who thought, these guys have it. They're the closest thing we have, right, to kind of heaven on earth. These are the guys who know it. And unless I'm more righteous than them, I don't have any part of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. I can only imagine the emotions that went through the crowd. There was probably fear, Mm. anger. They were indignant about it, self-righteousness. So I, I think Jesus was trying to drive home the point, you have to be perfect. Your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. To be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you can't do it. So I think it's both and. Mm. But at the same time, because of what he did for us, because the Holy Spirit indwells in us, we absolutely should be living a life that looks more and more like Jesus every day, Mm. every week, every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Bible, I think it's in Revelation, it talks about that we'll stand before God and we'll put on the robe of righteousness of Jesus, that, that it's his righteousness at the end of the day that clothes us. It's his perfect righteousness that gives us entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Um, it's not our own righteousness. The Pharisees had this this superficial righteousness, this letter of the law righteousness, and, and God says, no, like you said earlier, John, he says, when you come to faith in me, I put my Holy Spirit in you. I begin to move you. I begin to give you new desires. I begin to give you a new way of looking at the world and a new way of interacting with the world, and, and this is what we can have when, when we live the Jesus way. Guys, thanks for talking through this last topic with me. For anyone who's out there who wants to talk about this with their family or their small group or their mentor, you can find this entire six-week series at pursuegod.org forward slash Jesus way. And then don't forget to join us next week on the podcast where we're going to start our 12-week series called The Pursuit. It's the flagship series at pursuegod.org. If you've never taken it before, you're going to love it. You don't want to miss it. It's it's great for discipling people. Guys, we've discipled many people with the pursuit, and we're going to get it started next week. I've been waiting for a long time to do podcasts on each of these lessons, and we start that next week. So join us. <laughs>